0: What I want to do is to just talk a little bit this morning about the gospel that I believe is very clear there in the Scriptures. First of all, in 1954, on the 18th of October, I heard the the true gospel preached. And I responded... First of all, I'm very clear, 50 years ago, I came face to face with the Son of God who was dying on a cross in my place. That's something I remember. And then, they have followed from that minute on, repentance. And the Bible says very clearly that if we repent, we need to prove it by the works. There should be evidence of repentance. And as I look back to those days, I remember the work of God going on in my heart. One of the things, uh, I'd stolen something from where I worked, and I had to take it back. Now, as I look back, and I hear a message like I heard last night, what I remember is, I must have got the real gospel because it had an effect uh, upon me, and it changed me. And it is still, because sin has to be repented of, there's no other way that we can do anything about it, but to come to the cross and to truly repent, and then there is evidence of it, and it goes on being evidence in your life for the rest of your life. Two years after I had that encounter, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, 50 years ago, it was before the days of charismatic renewal. And so, uh, it was something that wasn't around uh, as popular as it is today. But I remember that that occasion very, very clear. Uh, I, I was desperate. I went to the meeting that night and... Uh, I had settled in my mind that I wasn't going home. It was a Saturday night. If I stayed all night until Sunday morning service, I meant business. And the preacher preached, and there were a crowd of people who came forward and responded for salvation. Then he prayed for the sick. And miracles happened. I remember there was a lady there, crippled with arthritis, and there she was, running around the building, waving a walking stick in the air, healed. And then the preacher gave the benediction. And I thought, I've been cheated. So I went down the aisle, and I got the preacher, and I pinned him against the piano. I was bigger than him. And I said, look, I want to be baptised in the Holy Ghost. So he said, okay then. Get down there and receive it. Now I thought he was going to lay hands on me, give me some scriptures, encourage me, pray for me. But he didn't. He went that way and I went that way. And as soon as my knees hit the ground... The power of God began to vibrate through me. And I began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave me utterance. And the power of God just saturated me. They tell me I didn't whisper, I shouted. If you read the Psalms, it's always telling you to shout to God. I noticed the preacher shouted last night. I get accused of it sometimes. But God met me. And the next day, I was at home, in my home, praying. And I felt God came very close. And he spoke. I don't claim it was an audible voice. But I claim that I heard it as clear as you can hear my voice now. And he said, I'm calling you to be an evangelist. Now, I listened to what was said before I preached. And uh, the bishop was talking about a call's not enough. I totally agree with it. But you do need a call. You need to know what God wants you to do. And at that moment, there was something happened in me that has gone on. For 48 years called me to be an evangelist he said also that I would go to smaller places and not capital cities I tell you I am at home in the second city (laughs) I really am and also that I would go to islands got a brother here from the Seychelles somewhere we had a tremendous revival real move of God on television with miracles Uh, in the Seychelles, uh, prime time national news, dumb person speaking, because God is a miracle working God. Amen. And the gospel without miracles isn't the gospel. We need to see the gospel to prove what God's doing. So that's where it all started. I want to turn to the scriptures. I'm still an old fashioned preacher. I preach from the Bible. If you like to look at Acts chapter 8, I'm just going to read some verses, and then we'll see where we go from there. Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitude with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were paralyzed and the lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Now it's very interesting that the only person that is actually named in the Bible as an evangelist is Philip. I'm sure there are other evangelists around in Bible days but he's the only one that was named to be an evangelist. And you find that in Acts 21 and verse 8, it talks about Philip the evangelist. And so we see that Philip is an evangelist. And uh, I want you to see that Philip had a very important message. We're talking about the gospel. What is the gospel? We heard some very clear statements last night about what the gospel is. That Jesus died and shed his blood and he bore our sin on the cross and he was buried in the tomb. And as I often say he was as dead as any dead man man can ever be dead. And on the third day God raised him back to life again. And then he ascended up on high, sat at the right hand of God the Father, and declared he is all authority in heaven and on earth. That's good gospel. But how did Philip preach it? The first thing we discover is that he went and he preached Christ to them. Now what I want you to get this morning, I believe there is a big difference about preaching about Christ And preaching Christ. There is so much going on in pulpits that I believe is history lessons about Christ. But here they preach Christ. Now what is the difference? A history lesson about Jesus is talking about what happened 2,000 years ago before Jesus went to the cross. That can be a good history lesson. But if you're going to preach the gospel, you need something a bit different than a history lesson. And my favorite verse in the whole Bible is Hebrews 13 verse 8. You all know it. You could quote it to me, couldn't you? Yeah. Who doesn't know Hebrews 13 verse 8? One person? Two people? Three Ah! I don't know how you can preach the gospel without knowing. Hebrews 13 verse 8. Jesus Christ. The same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And so a history lesson can be the Jesus of yesterday. Now I believe that everything Jesus did was totally true. I believe all the miracles. I believe everything he said. That is factual. And I also believe, you know, they call them conservative evangelicals who don't believe in miracles too much. They will tell us, it's all going to be wonderful when we get to heaven. There'll be no sickness, there'll be no disease, there'll be no divorce, there'll be no abuse, there'll be none of these problems, there'll be no sin when we get to heaven. And it's all going to be wonderful when we get to heaven. Well, in a sense, I believe that too. But I'm living down here in 2005. And if I'm going to preach the gospel and I'm going to preach Christ, I need to preach a Christ who is here, moving, working, working miracles, saving the lost, changing lives today. That's preaching Christ. Preaching he's here in this meeting. Wherever you're preaching, he's here in this meeting and he will do the things he always did. The sick will be healed. The lost will be saved and forgiven. God will meet and deliver people and set them free. You see, Philip, he preached Christ to them and it says the whole city turned to God That is success. Oh, if you saw the whole of Brentwood turn to Christ, wouldn't that be terrific? Your city, where you come, the whole city turned to God. The closest I've seen in my ministry, we went to a place in Kenya, and uh, it wasn't very big, but when we left, they said there was only four people left that were unconverted. Hallelujah. Uh, we were there for a long sort of weekend and everybody turned out and, and uh, that was pretty tremendous. But mass evangelism, when you go and masses turn to Christ, the bishop who uh, was telling us uh, about the Cameroons, he's been to many different places, seen thousands, tens of thousands of people Come and you preach Christ to them, the miracles happen and they come to the Lord. But you see, there's the other side of the coin as well. Philip preached Christ to the masses, but if you uh, look at uh, verse 35, now he's with the Ethiopian eunuch, and it's a one to one story. And what does he do? Does he change his message? Do, do you sort of make a long-term friend, friendship evangelism so-called, and you're going to take the next 25 years and hopefully win this person to the Lord? He didn't have a chance to do that. The guy got his Bible open, and wherever the Bible's open, you can preach Jesus from it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. From Genesis to Revelation, Jesus is everywhere on every page. If you, if you don't believe that, get a copy of Oral Roberts' sermon uh, on the fourth man and you'll find Jesus there in the midst of every book. Fantastic message. But he preached Christ, he preached Jesus to the Ethiopian eunuch, And he won him to Christ. Next thing we find, he's being water-baptized. I've just come back from Norway. And uh, we had a good time. But one Sunday night, a guy turned up where I was staying. He was a Kurd from Iraq. He was a doctor. He had being a Muslim and he got disillusioned with the Muslim faith and he declared he had become an atheist. He'd been in Sweden for eight years and trained as a doctor and uh, of course I was introduced to him and uh, the fact of the kind of thing I do go around preaching the gospel was explained to him. So he turned around to me and looked me right in the eyes and said, I am an atheist. So I looked him right in the eyes because I believe like the bishop in confrontation. And if somebody tells me an ath- they're an atheist, I don't say, oh dear, that's not the right thing. you know. Can we talk about it? I looked him right in the eyes and I said, don't say that to me. Don't say that to me. Two hours later, he left. He'd become a believer and he declared, I am in love with Jesus. You see, the gospel is the power of God. Come on, everybody say it. The gospel is the power of God. Say it again. The gospel is the power of God. One more time. The gospel is the power of God. If we can get that into our system, every time we go to preach, we'll begin to believe that the gospel is the power of God. I'm glad when I started ministry Those 45 years ago, some other guy in the ministry said to me, Don, every time you preach, expect to get what you preach for. That was marvellous advice. And if you believe the gospel is the power of God, and the preaching of the cross is the power of God, then you can have that expectancy that you're going to get results. That what you're preaching for is going to happen. Now, when I preach out in mission, if nobody got saved, I'd be the most uh, disappointed man on earth. Because I expected, Spurgeon said to his students, One went to him and said, Mr. Spurgeon, why don't people get saved when I preach? So Spurgeon said, well, do you expect souls to be saved every time you preach? The student said, oh no, not every time, but I hope they would sometimes. Spurgeon said, that's why they don't get saved when you preach. If you don't expect it. The old Chinese proverb says, Blessed is he that expected nothing, for he shall not be disappointed. There seems to me that when Philip preached, he was very expectant. He got the whole city to turn to Christ and then he goes to preach uh, to the one to one and he wins them to the Lord as well. You see, if you're going to be a preacher of the gospel, you must become an optimist. You're not going to get anywhere as a pessimist. This world is full of pessimism all over the place. But the man and the woman who's preaching the gospel, he's got the good news. He's got the answer. He's got what they're looking for. You must have that whole sense of optimism that when I finish, somebody's going to come and get right with God. You see... I've settled it. I believe everybody in the world is looking for what I've got. I do. They don't know what they're looking for, but they're looking for what I've got. They're looking for it in alcohol. They're looking for it in drugs. They're looking for it in sex. They're looking for it in entertainment but they're looking in the wrong place. But I've got the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God under salvation to everyone that believeth, and I believe with all of my heart that they're looking for what I've got. You need to stand to preach with that kind of optimism in you that you really do believe, that every person who's listening to you wants what you've got. And that's why you need to be straight. That's why you need not compromise. As I was praying last night, the thought came to me that every time you preach, you mustn't fail your hearers by giving them some watered down, less than the true gospel. That would be very sad. And sadly, there are people who do that. They say they don't want to offend them. I love that verse where it talks in Hebrews about the offense of the cross. To many people, the cross is offensive. But if they get offended by the cross, I think there's a good chance they're going to find repentance. Repentance along the way because when you come face to face with the cross something is going on inside something is going to really happen I think also when you're preaching the gospel you need to be enthusiastic about it enthusiasm is so important you, whatever you think of what the bishop preached last night no one could have accused him of not being enthusiastic about it But what about when you preach? Is there some enthusiasm in it? Now, I don't know Greek, unless I look at Young's Analytical Concordance and all the rest of those kind of studies. But I'm understanding that with the word enthusiastic, uh, it's from a Greek word and it has God in it. And the actual meaning... uh, Uh, of the word I've been given to understand is to be violently alive in God. Violently alive in God. When you are preaching the gospel, could somebody look at you and say, that guy is violent with the gospel. Violently alive. I believe we need to get that into our system that we're so enthusiastic about it. Somebody told me yesterday, they said they become a grandfather. Now, I've got 15 grandchildren. Actually, I have to be careful because my son has just adopted another child, so I really have got 16 now. And you try and get them all on your lap at once. (laughs) And it ain't very possible. But, you know, I know what it's like to be a grandfather. And uh, this guy said to me, he said, when I first held the baby and I, I kind of felt all gooey inside. So I said, every time I win a soul to Christ and they're born again, I feel all gooey inside too. There's something happens when you help people by the grace that God has given you to have an encounter with Jesus. It affects you on the inside. And I don't want a day in my life without that. It's possible. We need to be violently alive in God. You see... Before I came out full-time in ministry, I was converted at 20 and came out full-time at 25, I was a salesman, and uh, I used to work around this area selling, selling to shops and hotels and that, Uh, meat, ham, sausages, pies, that sort of thing. And when I went to this uh, and got this job, there were 16 salesmen and uh, my journey was number 15 on the list of the league table. So I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, you and I are going to do this together. And uh, I believe we're going to the top. Within a month, my sales were doubled. And before I left... All records were broken on the firm and I was at the top of the list. That's great. But I just want to add to you, I'm still a salesman. Mm -hmm. I'm still a salesman and I've got the best product in the whole world. In the whole universe, there's nothing better so the way I used to talk about how good my products were then, I tell you, I can, I, it's impossible for me to exaggerate about my product now. <laughs> I, I, and when we, we're preaching the gospel, this gospel that God has given us, it is so fantastic that you can't exaggerate the product. Have a go, try, and you'll fail but at least you'll be successful in communicating the real Jesus. It's so important. Philip preached Christ to them. And in verse 6 and 7, it gives a list of what happened. It says up here, No miracles, no Jesus. You don't find that very often, unless you look at the right program on TV, which I love to look at. It's different. No miracles, no Jesus. Well, down in the city in Samaria, there was Jesus there because there were miracles. And look at it, and there were all kinds of miracles taking place. Amazing things. Let's just look at them again. And the multitude with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. That word many is important. It wasn't the odd miracle. I mean, wasn't it great? Didn't you feel something lift in the meeting last night when the bishop called out the two people that had been healed recently, and they testified? You couldn't argue with it. They stood there in their flesh telling us what God had done. And this is what happened in the city in Samaria. The miracles were there. Nobody could argue with him. The man in Acts chapter 3, who sat at the gate beautiful, after he was healed and 5,000 people came to Christ the religious fanatics of the day they got so upset that they had a committee meeting did you know the Bible doesn't say go into all the world and form a committee it says go into all the world and preach the gospel so they got together and they had this committee meeting and they said If we don't do something, the whole city will turn. The whole world will turn, really. If we don't do something about it. So they cooked up what they thought was a nice idea. That the people were so caught up with the preaching of the gospel and the effects of it and the miracles that were happening that they decided that what they would do to try and keep in with the people was to tell the apostles they could preach. They weren't going to stop them preaching, but they weren't allowed to preach in the name of Jesus. Listen, folks, you waste your time every sermon you preach that isn't preached with the name of Jesus and presenting Christ to it. Without that, you waste your time. You might as well stay home in bed on a Sunday morning than preach some fairy tale or some technique. One of the things that gets my goat, if I'm allowed to keep a goat these days, is all the techniques you find. The latest technique will deal with this. If you go through this counselling with this technique, all of this... I tell you, all you need is Jesus. One of the worst things is preaching Christ plus. When you preach Christ plus, you are saying that Jesus isn't enough. Just preach Christ. He is enough. There is nothing too hard for him. There's nothing he cannot do. If you believe all things are possible, And that's got to be in you as you preach. What's going on in you is what you'll communicate in spite of the words that might come out of your mouth. What's happening inside of you is so important. If Jesus is there and he's alive and he is working, somehow you will communicate that. My wife said if I preached on baked beans, people would get saved. because if I preached on baked beans Jesus would have to be there with the baked beans somewhere (laughs) if you can know what she's trying to get at I just uh, come back from the Isle of Man we were there for a little mission trying to help a church there to grow and uh, I was there a year ago and the very first thing that happened when I arrived at the pastor's home was the guy there and he said when you were here last year I had had epilepsy and fits regular since I was born and he's now I would say in his early 50s he said but you prayed for me in the name of Jesus and I'm healed. I haven't had a fit since. I've had no problems and I've taken no tablets whatsoever. Well, isn't that a great welcome when you go to preach the gospel? Miracles happen when you preach the gospel. Just to look a little further down the chapter, we find. Philip is still preaching in verse 12 but when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus both men and women were baptized. He preached not only the name of Jesus and uh, I'm not going to take time to go off into that because I could go on for hours on the name of Jesus. But the last time I was speaking here at Peniel, I took the subject and we had a great night. And I guess it's around on video somewhere. Get a copy and look at it. It'll it'll bless you. It, It goes quite deep into it. i about an hour talking just about the name of Jesus. But the kingdom of God is a very important part of preaching the gospel. Because when you preach things concerning the kingdom of God, you're preaching about that whole area where Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. You're preaching what the cross of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, blood and resurrection has accomplished. You are preaching the fact That the devil is totally defeated. That he has no power whatsoever. There's only one exception to that. Really, there's no exception, but there is one. The devil was totally defeated. By the death, burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, that leaves none for the devil whatsoever. And as far as Jesus and the Father, Son and Holy Ghost is concerned, the devil can have no power whatsoever. The only power he gets is what you give him. He can have no power in your life if you don't give him any. If you go on sinning, if you believe his lies, if you allow him to attack you, then you give him road. I fly around Africa in Zessna airplanes, little four, six-seater airplanes. It's the quickest way to get around Africa. And one of the things that happens is I'm sitting in this Zessna. I thoroughly enjoy it. And uh, the pilot's coming down to land. And we're over the bush. And the bush, you look at it and we're getting down and we're only a few hundred feet off the ground and there's nowhere to land. And you say, where are we going to land? There's nowhere. And when you get to about 200 feet, which is pretty low in an aircraft, you see a little clearing in the bush called a landing strip. And you land safely. If we believe the lies of the devil. If we go preaching about devils and demons and all of that kind of stuff. We are producing landing strips in our lives for the devil to have a go and and all the rest of it. We need to make sure that in our hearts and in our minds and in our Whole lives we have got a clear message that the kingdom of God is the greatest kingdom in the universe and there's no power like it and Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords has completely defeated Satan. That is the real gospel. That is the real gospel. Now, I just want to look at three things as I close that I think are very important when preaching the gospel. It's very interesting what the bishop said uh, about looking at hermeneutics and what the Bible says and who said it and whether it's God or not. Uh, the word Christian It's only in the Bible once, and it's a man word and not a God word. Very important to me, for when you're preaching the Gospels, and you're really coming to grips with it, what you're really after is people to repent and believe the Gospel. To become a follower of Jesus Christ. To become a believer. Those are biblical terms. And when you're preaching, that's what you're after. You know, give your heart to Jesus and become a Christian. Rubbish. As we heard last night, he don't want our hearts, he don't want our lives. He want us to receive him, to receive his power, his life, his spirit. He want us to receive his righteousness, his gospel. That's what the gospel is. This give your heart business and become a Christian. Become a believer is the big thing. The three things I want to talk about. First of all, a believer has reality about God. Reality about God. What do I mean by that? One of the biggest problems we face today by this another gospel that isn't a true gospel is this God of love, this God of stuff. It's humanism. There are more humanists in the pulpits than anything else in this country. All the time they've just tried to produce a humanistic approach. And what do they do? They create in their minds what God is like, but it's what they want him to be, not what the Bible says he is. And there's a big difference. One of the things I hope is that many of you will go home from this conference with a different impression in your minds about what God is like than what you came with. That's one of the passions of mine. This will be the only time probably I will share. And I have to be off tomorrow. But if I can leave that with you, you need to go home with a picture that the Bible gives you of what God is like and not what you got from mum and dad and granny and the preacher in at school and all of that kind of stuff or, or live eight or that kind of stuff. What you need is what the Bible says about God. People need to hear that. Because they're going to be disillusioned and disappointment if they're told that God is only love. Do you know what people do? They make a God out of love. Now the Bible says God is love, but it doesn't say love is God. There's a difference. Because God is more than love. He's justice. He's righteousness. His holiness, His judgment. He has emotions. And sometimes they're described as fierce anger. It's true. That's God. He has all of those attributes. And you really can't understand love until you understand the cross. You have to look at the cross to understand love. Because what is happening at the cross? Sin is being dealt with. God cannot accept sin. Sin must be dealt with, it must be judged. So on the cross, God allows the punishment that we deserve for the sin that we have committed to be put on Jesus on the cross. And he bears our judgment on the cross for us. Him who knew no sin was made sin. For who? For you? For me? Turn to the person next to you and say, He was made sin for you. turn to the person on the other side and say, I'm really going to believe that. And when you understand what Jesus did, then you understand love. God loved us so much that he sent his only son to go to the cross on our behalf so we don't have to go there if we will truly repent and believe the gospel. Then you begin to understand love. When I went through cancer five years ago, it was a wonderful experience, really. Now I can say that with hindsight. I like to I'm honest, you see. I you'll get my heart on my sleeve. It wasn't easy all the time. But God gave me a verse. John 17:3, The prayer of Jesus. This is eternal life. And come on. I did wonder. I might have been in the next world during those days. This is eternal life. That they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. And the thing that got me, I prayed it several times a day, day after day, until more reality of it was getting into my being. it has got me so hooked now. And that's what's coming out this morning, really. That if we need to know the true God, there's got to be untrue gods. Those are the ones we create in our minds, the God we want him to be. A lot of people, their God is more like Father Christmas than a holy, righteous, pure God. It's not so much what he can do for us. It's what he has done for us. That's the important thing that is life-changing. So we need to have a reality about God. The second thing I want us to look at is the gospel is about true freedom. There was a man who was in his late 40s. He'd been a drug addict for years, many years. Been in and out of prison, been dried out and straight back on every time. And then he heard the true gospel of what Jesus could do. And he was in one of our missions. I used to have a tent that seated up to 2,000. And he was on the platform being interviewed for his testimony. He was a bit shy, so we encouraged him. And the final question was, what does Jesus really mean to you? And he thought, it seemed like eternity, but it was probably a few seconds. And you could feel the emotion rising up in him. And suddenly he blurted out, without any shyness whatsoever, freedom! Wow. If you've been bound for drugs for about 20 years, and you get the true gospel, and you get an encounter with Jesus and you're set free from drugs, you will really believe the gospel brings freedom. You see, John 8.32, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And 8.36, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I have had the privilege many times of preaching in Strange Ways Prison. Strange Ways Prison has up to 500 prisoners. We might have more, but up to 500 can get in the chapel. And usually when I go, it's full. And I always preach on the same subject. Freedom. And they all laugh when I say to them, what do you think freedom is? And of course, the first thing they think is it's to get out of this prison. (laughs) They think that's what freedom is. And then I have the opportunity to tell them that's not freedom at all. Because if they got out of prison that day, within weeks, the majority of them would be straight back into prison. Because they were going to do similar things to what got them in there before. So this is my definition of freedom. Freedom is the power to choose right and then the power to do it. Many people can make right choices, but they don't have the power to carry it out. How many people make a New Year resolution? And by the end of January, it's forgotten and been broken many times because they have no power to carry out the decision that they thought they had made. The gospel of Jesus Christ not only gives you the power to make the right decision, but it gives you the power to carry it out. And people need to hear that. I have heard in my crusades so many times... People say, well I wouldn't give my life to the Lord tonight or I wouldn't surrender, I wouldn't come forward or whatever term they use because I'm afraid I wouldn't keep it up. That's the biggest lie the devil ever tells anybody. The Christian life is not difficult, it's impossible in your own strength, in your own ability. It's impossible by works. And when you tell them, you're kept by the power of God through faith. And that's not from yourself. It's God's gift. It's not you keeping it up. It's God keeping it up. God keeping it up. What a wonderful message. What good news it is. What gospel it is. And finally... A message that says, if you're truly born again, you have no past. You are totally forgiven. Oh, I love that verse. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from some of our sins. What's the matter with most of you? You are asleep. I haven't driven you to sleep, have I? The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from? All. And again. All. And again. All. Turn to the person next to you and says, it says all. all. And it cannot possibly be all except one. You know the one that you've been told by him who sits on your shoulder and preaches sermons to you that you failed the Lord so bad and you failed the church so bad and you failed the family so bad that you can never be truly forgiven of that one and forget that one. He tells you all of that kind of junk at the cross. It's gone. Get back to the cross. Let the cross fill your life. And this is my final words because I'll get accused of preaching too long. I shan't preach as long as the bishop did last night, even then. (laughs) Listen. If you want to be his disciple, you have to take up your cross and follow him. And to do that, the old AV that we heard all about last night says, deny yourself. You can truthfully say, say no to yourself. We're not living for us, we're living for him in his power and in his strength. And we take that cross. We pick it up every day. Wherever we go, we go with the cross. And listen, when you pastors go into the pulpit next, make sure you take the cross with you. Make sure it's in your heart, in your mind, in your message, in your notes, wherever it is. Take it. If I had another chance, I'd preach you another message about the cross. Maybe next year. But come on. I hope you're hearing me. What I'm saying could be so simple at this point that that's why we miss it. I believe every one of us need to take the cross into the pulpit the next time we preach beyond what we've ever done before. And I believe we'll see results better than we've ever seen before let us pray I'm not going to ask people to come forward for prayer or anything like that but I always do believe that when you hear a message that there's always a need to respond to God and I'm not going to ask you to do anything more then just stand up on your feet. If you're prepared to say, I feel God spoke to me, I've got something from that and I want to run with it from this day on. Just stand up where you are if you will respond to God on those lines. Thank you, Lord. It's good to be specific in your heart, silently. Just clarify before God what it is you're standing for. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for these precious brothers and sisters. Lord, you love every one of them. I believe they love you too. I love them too, Lord. And I just pray that the revelation of the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ will impact them and the people who hear them preach it more than it's ever happened before. Help them to leave Anything of the negative behind. And walk in the new. In Jesus' name, amen.